Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty For Her, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. We're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty for Her. And today I am so thrilled to be bringing to you guys two women that I think bring new meaning to what it means to be intentional about their work, the work that they do with each other and that the and the work they're doing for so many businesses here in LA and all over the country. Uh, Tiffany and Bentley, it's so great to have you guys. Um, really great and really special too. We've done some work together in the past and so it's nice Nice to be here on the podcast with you guys. Welcome. Thank you. Since there's two of you, I'll, I'll toggle back and forth so you guys can answer questions and feel free to piggyback on each other. The first one is just to give everyone a little context and tell us about Conscious Culture Co. Perfect. I'll take that. So Conscious Culture is a consulting firm and we really focus on strategic human resources and people operations. And Bentley and I both believe that your people are your business. They are your competitive advantage. They're they're going to make the difference on whether you succeed or not. And so we find that leaders intuitively get that, but they sometimes lack the expertise for how to find the right people and set them up for success. So that's where we come in. We work with a lot of startups and small businesses to create foundational HR and people operations infrastructure so they can support their people and their team as they scale. Just when you talk about people, is this like for one person, for five people, for 25 people? Like at what point do you guys tend to come into a company? And I know we'll get into that a little bit more later, but just so we know from the from the top. It's a great question. We work with companies at different levels. So we try to make our, we want to make this knowledge as accessible as possible because it can feel really overwhelming and intimidating. So if we're working one-on-one with clients and more of a retainer relationship, that's usually around like 20 employees or more. Although we have worked with some smaller businesses where leaders are just very proactive and really want to make sure that they do this right. So our smallest clients have been maybe like six people or 10 people. Um, But we have some other solutions for that, like very, very early stage and small team that doesn't involve a a retainer. Okay. I know we're going to get into Mm -hmm. that soon. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll wait with bated breath. And then how did the two of you meet? When I met you guys that I found was so special is your partnership is, and I meant that when I said it in the beginning, there's so much intentionality and integrity around the two of you coming together and being partners. Like, how did you guys meet? And then what made you decide to be partners? Yeah, so we actually met while we were working for a startup company called The Giving Keys in Los Angeles. And at that time, Tiffany was actually their HR consultant, and she partnered with them to design their first uh, full-time HR position on the team, which is the role that I stepped into. So she was integral in hiring and onboarding me. And then over the three years uh, that I spent there, we the partnership continued and we really helped that company to 
build their HR and people operations from the ground up and scale from about 20 employees to 100 employees. And then when I stepped out after a few years and started my own consulting practice, our partnership continued. And we just found, first of all, that we had a really a shared vision and ethos around company culture and why it matters and why founders and leaders would want to put that at the forefront. And then on top of that, we had just a deep mutual respect and trust. And we knew that we worked well together. We'd been working together for three to four years at that point. So we had, you know, similar work styles. um, And that was a great kind of foundational piece in the relationship. And then on top of that, a lot of shared personal values for balance and community and growth. And then the other thing I'll mention that I think helped to build some of that mutual trust and respect was that Tiffany and I had both done a lot of work on ourselves um, in the years prior. We'd, you know, really invested in counseling and coaching. We were both, you know, yoga and Pilates practitioners and had just done a lot of self-development. And we had an awareness of our strengths and weaknesses as, you know, people and professionals. And we really felt like we could use a lot of that self-knowledge to navigate, you know, hard things when they... We up. may have to have you on the po- In fact, we're going to have you on the podcast again, strictly talking about partnerships because <laughs> um, you guys, I've been able to witness firsthand, have done it in a way that I have n- never, ever seen. And I've seen some really great partners. We've done two podcasts with Chelsea and Jamie, the founders of Sugar Paper. And I think they have one of the strongest partnerships I've seen. But you guys, the way you came together, the way you um, structured your business, the work that you've done independently on yourselves and what that's done to bring the two of you together and how that's been able to grow conscious culture, I think is something that most people take for granted or don't spend the time, the necessary time on. So anyway, I'm already going deeper than I wanted to, but I really, I'm serious about that. I want to commit to that because I think it will be a tool for so many people. What do you guys think, you know, you sort of use HR and what was the term of art you used? People something. People operations. People operations. So are those one in the same or... So they're a little bit different. Um, We kind of joke, Bentley and I have such a love-hate relationship with the term HR or human resources, because when you think of it, you think of like an HR crisis hotline, or you think of your employment lawyer, or you think of Toby from The Office, to be really honest, you know, where it's like about timesheets and they're like, and compliance and risk mitigation. And all of those things are important for protecting your business. Um, But it's really around how do we limit risk? And it's not about how do we be strategic? And so people operations is a new term. I think it was coined by Google. So you hear it a lot in like the tech startup world, Mm -hmm. um, where it's more about how do we design work so that people want to be there and so that they're doing their best work. So we use them somewhat synonymously, but people operations usually connotes like a more strategic, high level thinking that um, helps push the organization forward as opposed to like being in tension um, with the organization's ability to grow and advance. And would you guys say that's kind of your like 
your edge. Um, that's what you offer, your secret sauce. That's what makes you different than most HR consultancies. Absolutely. Yes, we're much more focused on the people operations side and we can do the compliance work, um, but we often, that's not where we thrive. And there's other resources out there for people to get that need filled. So we like to really focus on the more holistic and strategic parts of HR and then also really come in and partner with organizations to build out solutions that are really going to work for them um, and manage change around it. And so we, we like to align, like we say, we're aligning your people strategy with your organizational strategy. So it's all moving in the same direction. That's awesome. And seems so much more for forward thinking and like although it sounds like you do some of the the fire putting out as well but a lot of the work is is more forward thinking and strategic I think to use a mm-hmm. word that you just used okay so I want to get into your expertise because this is the first of our expert bonus sessions I'm so excited that you guys are with us doing this for the very first one but I also I'm imagining that so many of our listeners have these questions and don't really know where to go and who to access. So I tried in in thinking of what I wanted to kind of get out of you guys, I tried to put myself in the position of most of our listeners. Where are they? What are they concerned with? So I'm hoping you can help help us tackle some of these things. So you talked a lot about, I mean, in your name is this this concept of culture. Why does it matter for us to be developing a culture? Like if you're an entrepreneur, you're putting out whatever widget, you're, you're making ice cream, right? And it's all about the customer and it's all about serving the ice cream and it's about the brand and it's about all of those things. Why do we need to concern ourselves with culture? Why is that important to the brand or the or the bottom line? I'm glad you asked. And I think what I'll, where I'll start is by defining culture because we get that question a lot too of like, what really is culture (laughs) and why does it matter? So the way, uh, you know, especially years ago when Tiffany and I started this business, uh, culture got confused a lot with, you know, company perks or ping pong tables or more of that feel good stuff. But the way we like to define culture is really the way we do things around here. Mm. And so what we like to remind founders is, you know, your culture is really all of the behaviors, all of the business norms, the things you value, the behaviors you reward, the ones you punish, all of your processes, those are really what make up a culture. So every company has a culture, whether you're aware of it or not, or whether you're explicit about it or not. And so a lot of the work that we do is with companies is really taking the implicit and making it explicit. So putting those values on paper, putting those processes and expectations on paper, because every employee wants to know some really simple things. What is my job? What do I need to do to be successful? You know, and am I doing a good job? If, if they can answer those questions, there's a lot of just psychological safety and a sense of, you know, reassurance that I'm on the right track. And so we find that the companies who take the time to really make those working norms and those expectations explicit for people, they're more successful companies where people are happier and more fulfilled in their work. And when you have employees that really feel good about the work they're doing and they're showing up and able to do their best work. 
yeah, you're going to be a more successful business and work is just going to be more enjoyable. It must be difficult to convince founders that that's where they need to be spending their time and energy because (laughs) they're by nature, right? They're people who are creating and putting out whatever the, again, the widget is, the service, the product, whatever it is. And in fact, the leader needs to be ensuring that all of those people have that safe space, understand the work that they're doing, and really uh, allowing those people to do the work that uh, the founder can't possibly do and shouldn't be doing. Do you find that it's tough to to kind of wrestle with those founders? And, and I mean, there's a thing called founder syndrome for a reason. Do you find <laughs> that to be a tough thing? Or do you think at the point they come to you, they're just desperate for that growth? It really depends. But to add to what Bentley shared, I would just say that, you know, no amount of ping pong tables or beer kombucha on tap will make up (laughs) for having a toxic manager or like not feeling valued or rewarded. Right. So we do often there will be times where we have leaders come to us and they're like, everyone's leaving. Like, no one's performing their job. What do we do? Um, Or they'll have employees who've been raising the flag and saying, like, we need HR support. Like, we need HR support. So it does sometimes take learning a little bit the hard way for them to realize, no, this is something we actually need. Um, But we do also get to work with some really proactive people leaders who just do know that there is an an inherent value in this work. So um, I would say it's really kind of split split across the board, Um, but, but it is hard. You know, we have limited dollars, limited time. And so often it's hard to prioritize people operations or HR until Mm -hmm. it starts to break down. So um, if you can do it before it breaks down, you're going to be much further ahead. And there's so much research out there about why culture matters and companies that have healthy culture outperform their competitors by 20 to 30 percent and engaged employees are more productive they turn over less, they, you have higher customer ratings, all of these things. So we can definitely make the business case to leaders and they start to hear it too. And they understand how it actually is tied to business outcomes and helping them hit the goals that they have. I have to believe that culture is even more important now that so many of us are working from home. There is no kombucha on tap. There is no, there are no ping pong tables, even if there were, we can't access them. And so now people are more desperate to try and come up with those water cooler moments and develop those relationships um, across Zoom or the phone or whatever they have access to. Is that is that the case? Yeah, I do think it takes a, a, a new level of intentionality even yeah. of developing the culture in these fully remote, you know, work uh, work life that we've all come to adjust to in the last year and a half. But funny enough, there were even companies before, you know, pre-pandemic and everything that were really leaders in the industry of how to build culture, which a lot of times does come down to relationships, Netta, you know, that relationship with your direct supervisor um, or your team and, and having some of these, you know, things on paper and setting goals well and and all of these things really can really uh, contribute to it. And companies have been doing it well remotely. Um, that's good. Time. That's good to know because we want we want more people to be successful as we switch to this sort of stay at home or work from home rather culture. So we're trying something new around here. We're going to start acting like a real media company and partner with brands we love brands we actually want to share with you. 
We're doing this for a couple reasons. One, in order to keep bringing these stories to you, we need to pay the team that pulls it all together each week. And two, these collaborations actually provide another way for us to shout out and share female-founded ventures, as well as resources we think you'll love. Our first partner is someone that's near and dear to us. She's even been interviewed on the podcast. You can check out episode 98 for her startup story and her advice on scaling your business. This is none other than Marin Costello. Now, Marin's jewelry is a brand that I've both worn and shared with friends. Her designs are always on trend, and for some reason, they never go out of style. How can you do both? I don't know, but she does it. Everything's made in the U.S. It's hypoallergenic and water-resistant, so you can wear it all the time. And they're committed to sustainable practices, like recently they've started using environmentally conscious stainless steel and sourcing products from manufacturers that share these values. And if you're a fan of layering, well, you're welcome. Head over to shopmarincostello.com. That's S-H-O-P-M-A-R-R-I-N-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com and layer stack and load up on the gold and silver to your heart's desire. And there's no need to feel bad about this little indulgence because when you use the code NETA15, that's nada one you'll get 15% off your purchase now through December 31st. So head over and get to shopping and remember to use NETA, N-A-D-A-1-5 to get 15% off all your shopping from now through the end of the year. What are some of the, let's say the top three problems that you see small businesses um, and founders specifically making when it comes to HR and establishing that culture? And are we talking about leaders at more of a really early startup stage? Really startup. I think Mm -hmm. like, let's think about people that have two to five people on a team and they're like, I don't need HR. I don't. And yet they're making all the HR or the culture mistakes. They're, you know, sort of starting off on the wrong foot. Yeah, there's quite a few that we see at this stage. And I'm just gonna normalize this to say Bentley and I are founders ourselves. We have a team of three plus like a handful of contractors. So we can feel the pain firsthand. You know, we're yeah. often tempted to skip over some of our own best practices. Like for example, we have a hard time slowing down and celebrating our wins or like doing fun things together because we're like, we just have so much work to do. So, so we get it, it is hard. And we can say that also firsthand. Um, But I would say a few things. One is establishing really good communication rhythms. Um, We often see small teams that like don't think they need one-on-ones or team meetings and they'll just like text each other or Slack each other anytime. And that can be a real challenge. And you can think like, we don't really need that, but it tends to lead to a lot of gear switching and that can be really difficult for Mm -hmm. feeling like you can get into deep work or be actually productive. Um, It also can really uh, cross boundaries when you're getting texts at like 9 p.m. and you just want to be zoning out and watching Netflix. Um, so establishing great communication rhythms up front is, is something that we really recommend, even if it's just two or three of you. Uh, so that's one problem. The second problem we see is just not knowing how to hire the right people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hiring for a very small team is challenging and you want people who have an expertise, but also are very flexible and adaptable because you're all wearing a lot of hats. And so how do you make sure someone has that adaptability, is a really quick learner, and can grow with you and fill multiple roles as the business evolves? 
Um, and then we also see a hesitancy to hire at all. It can be really hard to make those first few hires and trust that the more, the more you free up your own time as a leader or founder, that like the rest, that it will help the business move forward because you're going to be focusing on your most impactful activities. So those are very few, but we could definitely list a lot more. No, no, those are, those are, those are good. It's funny. I can't tell you how many times when I was consulting, I would hear if we would have team meetings, somebody from the team saying, I get the tech, the texts at 10 o'clock at night. And the founder is saying, well, this, that's the only time I have to sort of sit down and run through all of the to do's for the next day. And it's, you know, write it down on a piece of paper and send it in the morning. <laughs> like, right, can, or Gmail has the like delay send, which is great. It's like, just write the email and then send it off. You that's know, a have tip it right there. Okay, yeah. so it's a delay send. See, I don't mm-hmm. even know that. Okay, that's awesome. You heard it here, yeah. everybody. Tiffany's giving you the goods. What are <laughs> um, kind of when you're talking about problems that partners have in particular, and I don't know how many of the brands you're working with or companies you're working with start out with partners as founders or or are just a single, a solo founder. But if you can think back and you can include yourselves if you want, what are some of the pro- problems you see in partnerships that they either are not establishing early on or they're having as they sort of grow the business? It's a good question. I think staying aligned on where you want the business to go, that's been, that can be a challenge because if you're partners, you're often bringing very different things to the table. So really creating that time, like it just, I think it takes a lot of time together and a lot of communication. And so getting too siloed as founders and not having that communication. So you start to go in different directions and then the business starts to go in one of those directions and the founder, one of the partners feels like it's not the direction they wanted it to go. That That's one that I've seen, but I can see Bentley, if you have any others. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things you mentioned is, and it does come back to like a lot of time, um, intentionality, and trust. And mm-hmm. I think every partnership, you know, starts off uh, much like a relationship, there's usually like a lot of excitement, um, shared vision and goals. And like, you start off feeling very aligned and in the same place. But as you know, things pick up and get busier. If you're not really prioritizing that relationship, communicating a lot of these things, um, there can be these just small cracks in trust or miscommunications that don't get addressed because you're moving so quickly. So at least speaking from experience, you know, Tiffany and I, the times when we felt the most disconnected, we realized the only meetings we're having, we're getting straight into kind of business tasks and Mm. here's what we need to do, you know, today or this week to just get through the day, get through the week. And we're just pushing, pushing, pushing. And we'll find we haven't just carved out time to catch up, you know, on more of a human level, but also check in on some of the, the deeper questions on like, do you have any feedback for me? Are you getting the support you need from me as a partner? Do you feel like the goals we set three months ago are still the goals that we should be chasing right now? Um, are there any ways that, you know, we need to be supporting our team more? Do we have the right people on our team? Do we have the the right type of support or are there areas we need to invest that we're not investing right now? And so Tiffany and I actually have a list of some of these 
harder to carve out time for, harder to ask questions when you are in the midst of just your day to day. And so we have uh, we have that list. We come back around to it at least quarterly at our quarterly strategic planning. Um, but we also have, you know, weekly partnership calls where we have a set agenda and really just some of those communication rhythms because you need this, you need to prioritize this relationship and just the the trust in the relationship, um, which really a lot of times does boil down to communication, but also extending each other the benefit of the doubt. And I think Tiffany and I's partnership has done well because we both feel not just that we have the business's best interests in mind, but that we really have each other's backs and have each other's best interests in mind too. So trust and communication, it's so its so core to any relationship, you know, not unique yeah. to business partnerships. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the that you said giving each other the benefit of the doubt, because I think often it's it's easy to create a, a narrative or a scenario in your head of what you think that other person meant when they said that or when they did that or when they, you know, trumped you in, in, a, in a meeting or what, whatever the case may be. And those things build on each other rather than sort of handling them. Um, right away. And mm-hmm. it is it is like a partnership and the business is the baby. And, uh, you know, everybody needs to, to, to care for that child. But along the way, you change your mind about things, things come up, circumstances. And so being able to constantly communicate and give each other the freedom to, you know, make different decisions and want different outcomes um, needs to be okay as well. When you're sort of meeting with founder leaders and early stage teams. And again, I'm talking a lot about the early stage stuff because a lot of our listeners are in that phase. What do, what do you think people need to sort of focus on when it comes to, I, I'm going to say, in, always include culture since you've taught us now what that means, but when it comes to HR, so the very practical things, you know, getting the paperwork done, the dotting the I's, the crossing the T's, but then also developing that culture early on. What are the most critical things? We always come back to a few foundational things and the first are your values and Bentley's mentioned this a bit but your values are really the cornerstone of your culture and another way to think of culture is culture is your values as lived out through behaviors so mm. a lot of times we have these ideas of what our values are but really getting clear on you know what do these values mean to us and how do we want them to be expressed in our day-to-day So if we say that growth is one of our values, what does that actually mean and and how does that impact the way we operate day to day? So I would say get clear on your values. It's going to help you attract the right people who are aligned and who are going to share those values with you um, and be like a good, we hear a lot about culture fit. Those are gonna be the people who are the culture fits or the culture ads to your team. Um, As a side note, Bentley and I have reframed culture fit to culture ad because culture fit can really feel like a bias, like a limiting thing where we're like only hiring people who are like us. So we like to tell people, hire people who align with your values, but maybe they're adding something new to your culture. Um, So that's the first is values, getting clear on your values. The second is really those practical HR basics. And honestly, when you're very early stage, if you just get the right kind of systems and support people in place, they should be able to guide you through that. So if you have a really good payroll system, it's going to be doing a lot of like the new hire reporting for you and helping you 
know which forms need to be filled out for employees. You know, it'll send them the W-4s and the I-9s mm-hmm. and the things that they need to fill out legally to be employed by you. So get a great payroll system. We use Gusto. We love it. It's really easy for small businesses and they have a bit of HR support as well. Um, and then have good partners. Um, have an HR resource. Have an insurance broker who can help you get the work comp plans and like everything else you need there and a good employment lawyer. So if you do have the right systems and support team, they should be able to help guide you through the basic compliance level things you need to do from an HR side. And I know we'll talk about this later, Netta, but we have a great resource that we'd love to give to your listeners that tells you in that early stage, what are these HR basics? So so we've got a free guide um, that we can send out to your listeners or put in the show notes as yes, well. I'm excited. I'm excited to do that myself, but also to share it um, with, with our listeners. And then how do you know, like, when you need to start delegating and bringing on support because a lot of times and i know from personal experience it's easy to just i'm the founder i'm going to take these things on i'm going to do these different tasks i already know how to do it there's no real time to train somebody else to do it or i don't really want to pay a third party to do these things because I don't, I don't have the, I'm not generating that kind of revenue. What are, what are sort of your like, Hey, you know, it's time to bring people on and get support when? Yeah, that's a great question. And one of the questions we like to start with when we're talking to founders is really asking them, you know, what is your highest and best? In other words, what are the things that only you can do? You know, and and one of our kind of go to rules that's easy to say, harder to live. But if somebody else can do it, even 70 percent as good as you can, like, can you delegate it? You know, is it time to delegate it? Because the truth is that every time we really get too far away from our highest and best and a lot of time is is spent on work that isn't kind of that work that only we can do. We may not realize it, but it is costing us something, right? We might say, oh, we don't have the, I don't have the time to train someone. I'm not generating the revenue, but we don't realize that it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy that, that part of the reason we may not be generating as much revenue is because so much of our time and energy is getting zapped. Um, doing those things that we could delegate and perhaps even at a cost more affordable than you might imagine because there is so, there are so many great technology platforms on the market. But some practical examples from Tiffany and I's experience, we knew a handful of things that we couldn't do as founders. We knew we needed an accountant, you know, a lawyer, a business coach. Those were more obvious. Um, some support with branding, things like that. But then it starts to get into the subtleties of, but I can do this. I'm pretty good at this. I don't want to pay someone to do this. But we, whenever we found, okay, like now 20% of my time, 25% of my time is being spent on, for instance, social media and content creation, then that's a ping. Is this something I can delegate? The you know, administrative backend research. Is this something we can delegate? And often those were a bit of a leap of faith. You know, we're hiring some part-time support on social media, a part-time administrator, um, even though we felt like we could do that ourselves and we might not be totally ready to commit to a full-time hire, but 
fortunately, what we found after we like made the decision to invest in that support was it created so much more capacity for us as leaders that we were able to generate the revenue to support those positions plus some. Sure. I heard on a recent podcast that we recorded, I heard the founder say, and I'd never thought of this before. It makes all the sense in the world. But anyway, she said, it's your job as the founder, as the leader to put energy and time into the vision of the company. You have to continue to focus on the passion, the reason that you're in business. And Mm -hmm. if you get sucked into all of the day-to-day, all of the things that you're like, well, this is what's this is what's paying the bills, then you'll get stuck at that level. And and so you're sort of validating that or, or reiterating that in a new way, Bentley. I appreciate that. Would you guys agree with that? It sounds like you sort of did, but would you agree with that? And is that something that you're coaching people to do when you are in your HR culture cultivating modes? Absolutely. Another way to say it is you need to be working on the business, not in the business. Yeah. Yeah. So helping people figure out how much are you spending time in the business because that does drain your energy, especially if you're a founder and you started this for a reason and you you know, it's probably energizing to think about where can this go and how can we evolve. So for many reasons, we try to help people, especially at that highest level, say like, how do you make sure, like Bentley said, you're doing the things only you can do or that you are working on the business and making sure it's moving forward. And when it comes to people, which, you know, you're talking about culture, that's with every new person, that's a shift in the culture. And you talked about the ad versus the fit, which I love, um, because we are the sum of our all of our parts, right? Um, So how is it that we, when we go out and we are hiring people, and right now there's a there's a lot in the in the job market that's um, open, right? Yeah. What should we be looking for? And for example, it's been my practice to hire really good people and then try and train them for the job. Now, there are some things that are just technical. This podcast, for example, I, I won the lottery when I got Elizabeth, who was both a really good person, but also a great podcast producer. What are the things that we should be sort of looking for when it comes to hiring people, especially when that third or fourth or fifth person is making a huge impact on the culture of the company? Yeah, there are a few things to think about. And maybe I'll start. I'm sure you have a couple more, um, Tiffany. But we always, you know, first remind founders to just lead with authenticity like yes in a certain way you feel like you're selling this opportunity but there remember what you have to add what a cool opportunity it is to really be part of a founding team be in startup mode we see some founders kind of shy away from that but the right person for the job will be excited about it because i think you're right netta early on a lot of what you're hiring for are those soft skills because a lot of the work um, is trainable is delegatable you've been doing it yourself as a founder Mm -hmm. so you know how to get it done Hopefully this person knows how to do it even better and can, you know, in months down the line teach you. 
but um, but you know what work needs to get done. And so you're really looking for somebody that has that shared values, is excited about where you're going. Um, so that's that's a starting point, at least. Tiffany, do you have anything you want to add to that? I know that's a big one. It is. I know we could probably talk about it for hours. But the other thing is to get really clear on what are the must-haves for the position. Mm. Um, Bentley and I also call it your selection criteria. And that might not be, you know, has to have two years experience in X, Y, or Z. It really could be like they have to be a great writer and they have to be a quick learner. Um, but what are the things that you're, are your non-negotiables? And I think the more clear you are on what you need in that person, what you need in that role, then the easier the hiring process is going to be. We often see leaders getting tripped up because they kind of have a vague idea and they might be looking for more of a unicorn who mm. knows how to do it all. And then when they put their job ad out there and start talking to people, they get confused because it's like, well, this person can do this, but this person can do this shoot, what do I actually need? So the more you can be clear on on the type of person that you need, the type of experience and background, then the easier it's going to be to find that person. Um, and then practically also like put the job up on LinkedIn, put it up on Indeed and send it through your networks. Um, great people know great people. So if you are a part of some great groups like the Liberty Network, um, it's a great time to share and just say like, do you know anyone who might be interested yeah. and get some referrals that way? Let me ask you about um, virtual assistants because a lot of people in this stage are going, they're bringing on virtual assistants who can do something very specific. It can be from social media all the way to editing and, and beyond technical stuff, people putting courses together, they'll hire a virtual assistant to help with that. How much do we need to incorporate that person into our culture when we only have them for five hours a week or something like that? Wow, what a great question. Um, I think it's it's important to remember that even if somebody's only working for you five hours a week, 10 hours a week, everyone who interacts with you, whether they're an employee, whether they're a consultant, whether they're a business partner, they're really all an extension of mm. your community and they mm. can all be also great brand ambassadors for you you know going into the future you want any we want anybody who works with conscious culture in any capacity to feel like they were valued like they were brought into the community like they understood um, the big picture the why and so even though it might feel like oh, you know, this isn't a full-time employee and maybe you don't need to invest the same amount of time. I'm not saying it's, um, you know, that you should treat it exactly the same as you would if you had somebody working for you 40 hours a week. But we try to lean toward being, you know, inclusive. So when there are those opportunities to, you know, come together or to celebrate wins or even to just add folks to like certain Slack channels or something like, we want to include people in the ways that make sense. That makes sense. And let me ask you a question that's, uh, I don't know if you can answer it or how many situations you've been in where you're let into this process. But when you're hiring for that founding team, let's say you're hiring somebody who is at a rate that you can't afford. How creative do you guys recommend um, getting in in 
obtaining that person or retaining that person. So for example, I need, you know, an editor of this platform that I'm working on. I can't afford their, let's call it $100,000 salary. Do you guys recommend that you say, well, if you can afford the 50 and you can bring them on in some sort of partnership role or some sort of equity, they have some sort of equity stake, that's that's a good thing to do as well. Any any thoughts on that? And or is that something you tend to like, well, we don't get into that. That's at, you know, that's something between the partner and the lawyer. And I just would be curious to hear your thoughts around that. We don't tend to get into the equity conversations too much. Um, but I will say one value that Bentley and I had starting out um, was to try to pay people as equitably as we can. Mm. And it's hard as a small business, it yeah. really is. But we came from the nonprofit world, we saw a lot of people being underpaid and that's just not something we wanted to do. And it just, we've seen time and time again, when you try to cut corners, you get that back in the work. And when you do pay people well, like you're going to get a higher quality of work. So I would push on that a little bit to say, could you, like, is there a way you could actually try to be closer to their rate? Um, Or what else could you offer? You know, if it's more of a fractional support role and they're working part-time, that's something we had to do as well when we brought in a marketing person is we can't afford this full-time. But we brought them in 20 hours a week and they also had a coaching business going on. So it worked really well with them. And some people really are looking for that flexibility and that part-timeness or getting to choose when they work. So people might be open to that. It can be harder to find, but they might be open to it. So I've found that if you underpay people, you could probably get away with it for a few months, but then after a few months, they either really up. expect an increase or it catches up to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's great advice. And I think it's a in terms of the, the culture you're creating, it's a great way to honor people and have them explicitly understand the the value that you're trying to the, the way you honor them and the way you value them uh, i think um and we we can underestimate what that means that you know the amount of money we're willing to pay for for somebody when do you think people should and and this could be a question of like how much revenue should they be generating or how much work do they need to have but at what point do you recommend it's time to start bringing on um, full-time or part-time HR support? So what we normally see, and it depends on the rate of how much you're hiring, because hiring and onboarding itself can be a full-time job. Um, And so if you are growing very quickly and you're hiring like four positions at any given time and you know you got 20 positions you know something at that rate you're going to need an HR person a lot sooner uh, but typically we start to see needing full-time HR support around the like 30 to 40 employee mark that's when it's too much for one person that's doing operations and HR or too much for like a part-time HR person so that's when you want to start to think about bringing that role in internally We have worked with teams that are more on like the 20 or 25 employees, but again, they're scaling and they really wanted to invest in their culture. So they brought on ahead of people earlier. Um, Typically we see some part-time HR support needed around like 10 to 15 employees. Um, That's when it's nice for people to know, like we do have someone to go to if we have a concern. Um, Also, we're starting to need some real systems around performance management and hiring and onboarding and things like that. 
And then when you're you know, earlier than that stage, um, usually it falls under like an operations person. So at that point, you it more would be like, what's an HR resource they have so yeah. that when they have questions, they can go to that resource because operations folks, like whether they're a COO or an operations director or a chief of staff, often they have a lot of exposure to HR and people ops, but they it's not necessarily their background. So I would say for leaders, just be aware that they can do it and they will know a lot of things, but they're not going to know everything. So if they can have some go-to support for just little questions or things that fall outside of their expertise or really require deep expertise, that they have that support in place. And that's not to say that you don't need to be, if you don't have that sort of operations person in the company, if you're the founder and you have five employees, that's not to say that you still are not responsible for building the culture and having all of these HR needs taken care of. You're talking about just when do you start seeking full-time support or part-time support in a in an ongoing way, but the need is Absolutely. still there even when there's a team of five and less. Yes, and I think at any stage, the founder is going to be setting the stage for culture. Yeah. You can't yeah. outsource that. You really yeah. can't outsource culture. So even as Bentley and I look to work with clients, we kind of vet, are, are the leaders invested in the culture? Because we can do a lot, but we can't actually make change if the leaders aren't on board and they're not modeling some of these behaviors and, th and systems and processes themselves. So your leader, your founder, your CEO, they will always be like the person who sets the culture, but you can delegate a lot of the work of creating those systems and maintaining those systems. Sure. It's it's good to know as somebody um, who, well, as our listeners are all people who are in that leadership role or want to be in that leadership role, role they want to be launching and, and building something that that is that is part of your responsibility. Again, it's not just to be putting this product or this service out in the world, but it's to be um, creating a team that is, I mean, and, and it's, it's part of the joy really of being an entrepreneur is to create this team that is benefiting from this idea that you had, that is um, living a better life because you've built this platform, you've built this, this company. And, um, you know, I think like in the restaurant industry, when they all have like family dinners at four o'clock or whatever, before they all go into, um, into dinner mode, into service mode, like how great is that? That's a particularly stressful scenario. And it's nice that they have a moment to, to sit down together. But I've also, I've always thought, Companies should be doing more of that. Companies should have should be intentional about finding time to sit together as humans, not just in meetings. Um, and so I appreciate so much all the work you guys are doing around culture and talking about it because I, I think it is I think it will separate people from early success and their ultimate demise because it it can cause a lot of burnout for the for the founder too if these things aren't sort of being supported by a whole team. I have to ask you guys, because you yourselves are entrepreneurs, what's what's sort of been the, the big learning moment for each of you? Or what has entrepreneurship really taught each of you? And I want both of you to answer this question. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And I'd say, you know, one of the things that becoming an entrepreneur has taught me was that I had maybe a really skewed idea of what entrepreneurship was um, mm. prior to doing it myself. So I just assumed I had all these assumptions that 
being an entrepreneur meant you had to take on this huge amount of risk, often accompanied by, you know, a loan or a lot of debt um, that you had to market yourself in ways that felt really salesy or inauthentic or something. And just the list of things went on. But as, you know, I stepped into building my own business and but especially building conscious culture with uh, Tiffany, it was just so enlightening to realize that, you know, being an entrepreneur doesn't mean all of those things. There's a way to build a business um, that is fiscally responsible, that actually create, you know, it doesn't have to take over your whole life, um, that you can show up authentically and put out what you have to offer to the world and the right people will be interested and raise their hand and want to be a part of it. So I think just stepping into this world and and honestly stepping stepping into a lot of entrepreneurial communities um, and specifically female entrepreneur communities like Liberty um, really helped me to redefine what being an entrepreneur meant and then be able to identify as one myself. It's funny how when we ask this question around entrepreneurship, how many people answer and say, I never thought of myself that way, or I don't really, I'm uncomfortable with that term or, and, and what it has meant to certain people. For some, it's meant, you know, their parents were entrepreneurs. They owned a mom and pop shop and they're happy to embrace that term. For others, you had to be on the cover of Fast Company and raise $40 million and you're not gonna do that. So I guess you're not an entrepreneur. It's, a re- it's really interesting to unpack it. And I've said for a long, long time, this word should live on a continuum mm. because mm. you have the Etsy seller and then you have the person who um, has raised the multi-million dollars and is running a, you know, a company of 100 plus people, but they all are having their, their struggles and they're very similar, actually. Um, they're just scaled differently. Mm. Um, so Tiffany, I'd love to hear from you. What is, what is it kind of taught you to be an entrepreneur? Mm. What has that process taught you about yourself? I mean, I really resonate with what you said, Netta. It took my partner being like, you've started three businesses <laughs> and for me to like update limiting beliefs. So it's really taught me to uh, examine limiting beliefs I have about myself and then update those and be able to embody a leadership style and an entrepreneurship style that feels authentic. Um so many lessons. I feel like I've really um, gotten to know my worth. And that's a really hard thing when you're starting out is like, how do you charge the rate that you feel like you're worthy of? And how do you set boundaries with clients or turn work down when you are afraid there might not be work that might come back up? So it's been a really um, incredible process to really own my worth more and more. And like the expertise that Bentley and I bring to the table and really the impact we believe we can have. And Um, be able to ask for that when it was really, really scary starting out. So I think it's really helped build a lot of confidence and update a lot of, again, those limiting beliefs are things from I'm not an entrepreneur to like, surely I can't ask that much or, you know, I can't say that I can't get that to that person tonight. Um, But really being able to stand in those boundaries and, 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 and what you have to offer and trusting that it will work out. 
Yeah, which sort of accelerates like the life learning process. Like it's it, all of these things are coming to you. I mean, so many things in life, relationships, having children, Bentley, you're you're it's coming for you. <laughs> um, but it, all of those things. Um, but I really I think entrepreneurship, uh, so many women that I know who've talked openly about this have talked about like, I know myself in a way that I don't know that I would have had I not put myself to this particular test, had I not opened mm. myself up to this. Uh, and it's not all fun. It's, it's, it's hard. They're hard discoveries um, along the way. So Tiffany, you had alluded to a fun thing that you had for um, our listeners. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So Bentley and I developed what we call an HR scorecard. And it's basically a checklist that you can go through. And based on the stage that you're at, see what are the most important things for me to be doing right now and check off those things from the list. Um, So it gives you kind of a roadmap of like, what do you already have done? And what should you be focusing on at this stage? And we created it because we get this answer so much or like this inquiry so much of people being like I don't know what I don't know or like this fear of like oh my gosh what am I missing am I like not in compliance with certain laws so it can be really scary to just not know what's out there and what's what's required and expected of you so we we created this scorecard it's broken into three sections and for a lot of your listeners um they'll be in the first section which is the getting started section and that walks you through the basics of like the HR activities and compliance things you need to do right now to make sure you're covered and then you can like put it away and know you're all set and it also is kind of a one-stop shop so we link to different resources so if we say you know you really need to for example in California if you have five employees you have to train your employees on sexual harassment and then we'll link to where they can find that either for free or for really um, for a really affordable price so it's a great kind of resource for people just to know their bases are covered um, and also to be like Great, I don't have to worry about that next set of things until until we're getting ready to grow our team. So that's awesome. That, that's what we have developed. Yeah. Thank you for developing that. Thank you for offering it to us. As you said, the sexual harassment thing, my eyes popped, and then you said, but then you have a link. So thank you for telling us what we don't know and then for providing a way for us to know. I appreciate that. And Liberty listeners, we will have that in the show notes for you um, so that you can link and go directly to Conscious Culture Co. Do you guys always say the co or do you just say conscious culture? We just say conscious culture okay. most of the time. But there yeah. is a co, right? I'm not, I didn't make there that is. Okay, okay, good, good, good. Yes. Um, so thanks. I'm looking forward to doing the, the scorecard myself. That's going to be awesome. Now, before we go, we always ask everybody because this podcast is Liberty for Her. Everything we do here is with the intention of helping women to liberate their dreams, um, their entrepreneurial dreams to pursue the adventure that feels passionate to them. So what, for you guys, what has starting Conscious Culture Co. um, done to liberate uh, each of you? And again, I'd love to hear from both of you. Yeah, I'd say the first thing that comes to mind for me is that it has just made my life feel so much more integrated. It has been so exciting to have a business and a business partnership that as we grow and evolve as humans, the business gets to grow and evolve and shift with us. And I think having that freedom, that flexibility, 
it really it it makes um, work you know like you've said not always easy but certainly so rewarding and um, there is an easefulness to it that has been surprising and liberating that's awesome that's awesome that's good to hear Tiffany how about you it's such a good question. I really love this. Um, but I think for me, especially as we were talking about not ever seeing myself as an, as an entrepreneur, I think it's really helped me trust my inner knowing and really kind of rely on that. Um, and so it's been a huge growth opportunity and liberation opportunity to not worry so much about like other people's ideals around leadership or entrepreneurship or being a business owner, but really stand into what feels authentic for me um, and what I have to bring to the table and kind of my leadership ability. And it's also been so liberating on a different on a different way to have a partnership and to have a team. Um, prior to Conscious Culture, I was consulting on my own for quite a few years, which was so great for like the flexibility and um, being your own boss, but felt really lonely. And so there also is kind of a liberation in being in this with others and getting to share the journey with others and do the work with others. And so, yeah, relationships have always, and community has always been so important. And I think that combination of the growth and the inner work um, and the solidness that's come in it for me personally, but then also being grounded in a team and in a community has uh, been really freeing. That's awesome. I love talking to the two of you. I feel like I learned so much each time. And I know our listeners, you've liberated our listeners, actually, because now we're going to know through the scorecard what we don't know. And you're going to link <laughs> us to the things we should know. So thank you for liberating us in that way. But also, I think for helping us to understand a little bit more about when we're thinking about HR, that we need to be thinking about the this culture that we're creating for ourselves, as well as for the people we invite into that. Um, and that our businesses really should be an extension of this greater thing that we're putting out into the world. And I think you guys have helped us to understand that and to find that in a new way. So thank you. It's such a joy to see both of you. And um, when people watch this on YouTube, they'll be able to see Bentley's um, crib in the back for her, <laughs> her incoming. She's got a third incoming soon, yes. soon. Thank you guys for taking the time to be with us. Thanks, Netta. Such a joy to be with you. Absolutely. So much fun. And we truly couldn't have done this without you, Netta. So it's always a joy to talk about it and reflect on our journey because you were such a huge part of that for oh, us too. Thank you. That means a lot. Thank mm -hmm. you. Liberty listeners, thank you guys for spending some time with Bentley and Tiffany and myself. Um, and I hope you've learned, I know you've learned so much uh, in this and please 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 go to the show notes and so you can link to the scorecard I know it's going to be a game changer for so many of you until next week bye Liberty for Her is broadcast on all platforms Apple Podcast Spotify Stitcher Google Podcast and more if you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty For Her on Apple Podcasts. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty For Her is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flower.